joining me in the trash compactor today is John. Hello. Mickey. Hey. And Murray. Oh, hello. And today we will be discussing episode three of the Book of Boba Fett, The Streets of Mos Espa. And let's start out with overall reactions. John, overall reactions to episode three. Um, I enjoyed it as I enjoy every episode of the show. Uh, but I I will say that in this episode, I've noticed a couple of uh, things that I, I would criticize about uh, maybe pacing or style choices. But um, that being said, it didn't deter me from uh, the quality of the show. I didn't think it took a big left field into crap territory. Uh, but there are a couple of things about it that I, I could like nitpick about. Mickey, your overall thoughts? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm basically, I think I was going to say a lot of the same thing John was going to say. Maybe I'm a little bit more um, critical. I was a little bit more disappointed in it. Definitely like a roller coaster in terms of like where I felt like the first went, where the second got much better. And now the third, I'm kind of like back down on a little bit. I mean, it's not horrible, you know, or anything like that. But I definitely think mm-hmm. there's, there's definitely pacing things um, and stuff like that. And then and I th- overall, to me, like just a challenge of like what it could be that it's just not quite achieving. Mm. Murray, overall thoughts? Uh, I'm I'm in the same camp. Uh, I think I'm more in Mickey's camp where there were multiple, like the, I like the show and the episode was cool and it's not like I'm like down on the show, but there was definitely multiple times when I was watching this episode and something would happen. Like they would roll up on uh, like British, like half droid, half human people. And I was just like, what the fuck am I watching right now? Like, what is this? <laughs> um, yeah. And then I had a feeling based off of the first episode. And I told my wife, I was like, I feel like this is directed by Robert Rodriguez because it just seemed like, I don't, I don't know. Cause I'm not going to say he's bad or he's, but I just, it just was like, this doesn't feel like the second episode, which I don't think he directed that one, right? He didn't. Yeah, he did not. Yeah, uh, when I saw it like was directed cheesy. by him, I was like, Josh Murray's going to notice Yeah, that. It, it's like, <laughs> it felt like cosplay. Like, it was just, I was just like, what is going on here? But overall, I did like, like it-ish. Yeah, yeah. You know, once again, I would say I'm in the same camp as all of you guys. I was kind of, you know, again, like, I enjoyed it, and I enjoyed the show overall. Um, not that I'm giving it a pass, but there's definitely Star Wars that I have problems with. And I think Mickey or Murray, one of you said, it's just that it's not what it could be. Yeah. Mickey said Um, that. Mickey. Yep. Yeah. Which I think is probably true. But that said, like, I don't know. I just don't have it in me to really have the knives out for this show. But, (laughs) but yeah, there are some things, there are some things that I think in this episode in particular, um could have been done a little bit better and it is weird right because robert rodriguez i feel like the episodes he directs i feel like the expectations for what they're going to be like are actually higher because he's known for directing action really well but it seems like his episodes are kind of the ones that get kind of shit on the most maybe it's the fact that he's used to directing features and used to going at his mm. own pace, like he takes his his time. I know that he has his own setup in Austin and he kind of does his own thing. And I think maybe the pace of directing a TV series is maybe something he's not used to. So they're kind of moving faster and like rather than, you know, having a week to shoot a car chase, he has a day mm. and maybe that comes through. Murray then, John. So my thing with Robert Rodriguez, and it's funny because me and John were talking and conversing the other day if Desperado still holds up. And it it like to me it's exactly the same, which probably means it doesn't hold up if it's the same now as it was like when it first came out. But Robert Rodriguez was always like you could count on him for some really cool like shots. It almost seemed like that's all he cared about was like what's cool and I'm gonna make it look awesome. But for his episodes, I feel like they're just kind of like flat and dull. And it's not, I'm not getting any like even cool shots or cool moments. And I don't want to like jump ahead too much. But if you watch 
Once Upon a Time in Mexico, and then you watch this episode, you're like, yes, this is 100% a guy that would rush to be like, we need Boba Fett riding a Rancor. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, we need it. And so um, <laughs> so when that when that conversation happened, I was like, oh, this guy is getting so blinded by like, I think it was, uh, Josh, you put up that meme of the kids playing with the action figures. And I was like, yeah, that's exactly what's happening in this episode. <laughs> no, it's funny because... Sure, with Robert Rodriguez, you get, oh my God, we have to see Boba Fett riding a Rancor, but then you also get Danny Trejo as a, a Rancor trainer, which <laughs> yeah. I think is the fucking Amazing. shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yep. I uh, cheered uh, when he showed up. I was like, fucking yeah. Danny Trejo. Yeah. No, and he was really <laughs> yeah. good. Like, he fit yeah. the, he, he, like, you totally imagined, like, he's totally a Rancor trainer. Oh, he's, yeah. I mean, yeah. he's good. Uh, John, then Mickey. Uh, there's something about Robert Rodriguez uh, that I think is very old school with his action. And I feel like even when we're, t- we're talking about Desperado, Murray, um, the, the, the movie uh, Desperado, El Mariachi, whatever, I feel like they're cool because of the content that he is a mariachi with these guns who's going against these drug cartels. But the action itself is very kind of like cheesy and like, I, I don't want to say kind of like a matter of fact sort of thing, but it's just like, it's not like, Oh, look at the choreography of Desperado. Yeah. It's, it's also just very like, long-winded, look, yeah. Yeah, it's just like, look at this dude who's wearing a cool outfit with a guitar <laughs> who's taking on these fucking do- goons. Mm-hmm. So I feel like when it comes to the action uh, and the Boa Fett show, he's like, hey, check out this fucking like, biker mod squad who's chasing yeah, down the Vespa this dude. Chase scene. <laughs> yeah, the Vespa chase scene, which is another point I want to get into. But, um, but it's just like, I don't think he's overly concerned about like how cool the movements are as much as he's like, look at this gang, follow this guy. Like it's the content. And I think he's like content over the choreography. Yeah. But like in Desperado, like he had like cool shots though, too. Just even like, the the mariachi like on the bar with like the backlighting or the yeah, whole like the thing. The whole it movie. just like looks cool where this just looks flat sorry i know mickey's well well sorry. maybe yeah. maybe to uh josh's point uh maybe it's one of those constraints where it's like he had a he was doing a feature you know he had mm, the true he had miramax behind his back and he had all the time you know i know he's like famous for shooting things uh cheap and fast but like with a TV show, it's like cheaper and faster. So yeah, but, oh, maybe he, but the, the budget for this TV show is probably going to be bigger than any budget he's ever had. So <laughs> I wonder be. if he, he needs the constraints to force like those cool shots and cool scenes. Mm. And maybe sorry. like the jaws thing, you know, the more things against yeah. you, the more creative you have to be. All right, Mickey, I feel like you're holding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that's, that's no worries. Um, first of all, I was going to, I have something to say to that, but like the first thing too, since we said Dan Drea, also like I got more excited myself for Stephen Root, which was. Yes, awesome. I love yeah. Yes, I know. And he was so, so good. Some, yeah. Some so I like him. Yeah, oh, sorry. So I was going to say like, I like him a lot, but it was the first thing because I'm just thinking of like that. The, well, I think John like categorized him as like a, almost like a New Jersey or Seinfeld character in the first one. The go, mm-hmm. the like, and so when like the first person you see is someone that you know <laughs> inside and out so well, that was like one of my first triggers of being like, "What am I watching? Is this like the first episode again?" And then they meet like the "Hello, Governor." Like, we're the Vespa gang, and I was just like, "What the fuck am I watching right now?" <laughs> yeah. Coming off of the last episode, Sorry, I, I was just waiting for Stephen Root to go like, "They got my water." Was it my, my water? And they and they put him back in the rancor pit in his new office. <laughs> um, I I think yeah, it's true. I, I the uh, I definitely think the biker gang was probably that act. It's really the accents for me. That's my main complaint. Is like the thing that threw me the most, and they much more than even Stephen Root or anything was like those that kind of weird British accent. Um, but. Uh, I also wonder too if the Stephen Root things like and maybe a little nod to like one of my I think favorite like Star Wars jokes from news radio like there was that great episode of news radio where they're like in the future and they just have like that great Star Wars jokes about like the news anchors talking about like the the, the terrorist rebels who killed all the innocent people on the <laughs> Death Star. <laughs> I wonder if that's like a little nod to that or not. But I think to, to the point too, you're saying the flatness and everything. I was thinking about this. I, I, I assume they're using the same system in Boba Fett as they use in. Um, in uh, the Mandalorian, where it's that kind of big screen wraparound screen yeah. thing where they film everything in front what's of. That, and I, what's I feel that like called, that's... Josh? 
uh, the amazing. volume stage. Yeah. There you go. And I feel like that's got to really limit, like, your it looks good, especially for this desert. Maybe that's why everything's in the desert. I got to assume for that kind of, like, you know, high contrast yeah. brightness, it looks good. But I can't imagine mm-hmm. it's great for dynamics, for shadows and things like I that. I think you have to know. I think you have to know how to mm-hmm. utilize it well. Yeah. Mm. And I think having yeah. like a guy from the 90s making things on a shoestring using physical things to like, mm-hmm. now you got him in front of this thing. Maybe that's kind of part of where this this issue where it's like, if nothing looks bad, but again, there's, there's like a dynamic to it that I think mm-hmm. is possibly missing. Yeah. I mean, he's used to shooting blue screen. Like he, he did Sin yeah. City and the Spy Kids things in like his own studio. Like he's mm-hmm. like really into that whole like, uh, virtual quote unquote way of filmmaking. Um yeah, I just think there are and it is interesting too because I've seen a bunch of behind the scenes photos. They didn't use the volume as much as you'd think on the Book of Boba Fett. They shot a lot of it outside with blue screen and physical sets for whatever reason. I'm not entirely sure why. It probably has something to do with the street set and the lighting maybe. I'm not exactly sure. But John I have a feeling we're about to get into the amazing uh, Technicolor West Side Story Biker Gang. <laughs> yes, we are. Okay, go, ahead. go ahead. So, um, to me, I, I feel like um, one of the one of my critiques I have of this episode is that they they make these choices that I feel like if they just uh, gave it another draft in the script, or if they thought about it for longer, they might not have stuck with those choices. And I think one of them was the West Side Story mod Vespa <laughs> biker gang. And the, only, and the thing is, is, like that idea is actually really cool, but it doesn't fit with desert tattooing Boba Fett like stuff. Like even Stephen yeah. Root, he's like, there is these like modified teenagers that are like going around and stealing mm-hmm. shit. And then when you meet them, they're like, oh yeah, we don't have any work, so we have to like steal stuff. And it's like, right off the bat, I'm like, well, how do you forge your cybernetics? Why yeah. are you all dressed like you're fucking, they all look like tents, like they're all models. Yeah. And they all have these like super slick, sophisticated clothes and they have these robotics, which don't seem to do anything. And, and they then don't they look have, good um, either. It looks like he's just rubber cemented to his face. Well, which might have some of its charm. And then the Vespa is like, each one's like, you get the red Vespa, the blue Vespa, the green <laughs> Vespa. And it's just like, I'm like, you know, I feel like this gang should be like on Canto Bite with the casino people robbing them. Yeah. Or like, I feel like they should be like on Coruscant, which is very uh, Blade Runner uh, city neon stuff. Like they're, like, like they're, they're in like drive and the movie is like once upon a time in the West. And so it's just like, I feel like the gang, if they just thought about it a little bit, if they just did a couple of redrafts of their sketches, they should have been much more of like the vampire gang and near dark, really gritty, really visceral. And like, when you see them, you're like, oh, fuck, like they're these guys don't fuck with them. Like, what if they all had like more of a Terminator aesthetic, like Mad Max than they do of uh, the Mod Squad? And then, yeah. like, I, I think I would have bought them as, like, a, a tough gang that can go up against, like, cartels. So that's, but that's, like, no fault of the actors, you know, or anything like that. It's just, like, I just thought that was, like, a choice that was made in this sketch part of the episode where they're drawing, like, art. And I'm, like, why? Like, it, it stands out visually. Like, they stand out as unique. But it's, like, but in a, in a weird, in a way that stands out, like, they don't fit in the show, if that makes any sense. No, that makes sense. You know, it it is interesting because it, it's definitely a choice. Yes. It's definitely it's 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 definitely um it's definitely a bold choice and I don't think it was accidental. Again, I feel like this is Robert Rodriguez. It's like one notch too far into Spy Kids kind of territory you know what i'm saying absolutely um so so i don't think it's a question of like if they just thought about it a little more i think it's robert rodriguez was like this is what i want i think this would be cool and while i agree with you that i don't know that it's necessarily what i say would have chosen it's a balancing act right because i do like and do think that star wars is kind of elastic right like it can handle a lot of different genres and visual styles as long as they're incorporated correctly and i do appreciate 
the intention to try to do something maybe that you wouldn't necessarily expect to see in Star Wars. But once again, like it's a balancing act. You have to be careful about how you go about it. I mean, yeah, like you were saying, like there are just there are a lot of things about it that feel just a little bit off, like whether it's the accents, Mickey, or the very Vespa reminiscent design, or also, you know, John, when you were talking, I didn't even really think about it like that. But I mean, you're exactly right. Where did they get the money for all this stuff? Like maybe yeah. <laughs> like I like it conceptually. Me too. But just in that world, it's weird. Well, because uh, like in the movie, um, well, uh, John brought up Blade Runner, but even in the movie Looper, like when they kind of like all the cars, it's almost like they modded them themselves to run off of solar power. Like you see almost like everything like duct taped to the the cars and stuff like that. And, it, and that actually takes place in the future, but it, it feels like more real like if they had some sort of aesthetic like that you might be like well no they this is what they scavenge and sell and they like make these mods right like i don't know it just seems so like clear cut almost like they were like rich kids like in an 80s like ski yeah. movie yeah. and they were like the villains in it and they had all their daddy's money yeah rather than like scavengers that or, or like people that have to grift and come up with this money and or like maybe their their bikes aren't so crystal clean and they're they're almost like made themselves like, i don't know how to explain it but like if they were I really would, shoddy bikes that would be really cool. yeah like if it was like yeah. more more looper and less like i don't know spy kids i guess would be the, the thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's funny it's like they do have a rich uncle and like they got mm-hmm. like a groupon for a whole set of like Vespa <laughs> speeders uh mickey obviously we're talking about they're they're referencing real world things and i'm just wondering i guess i don't know enough about the mod scene from like 60s england to, to know the <laughs> dynamics of it but i wonder if that was like it was a bunch of unemployed kids in london you know listening to new music and driving around and wearing fancy clothes and like and they were unemployed and restless but like yeah where did they get the money i mean i guess if it if it was like that in the real world like there is some real world yeah. answer to it but again i, I like the other i just want to also bring too is like you know i think this was like a little twitter thing for a day where a lot of people were kind of saying like you know like it's dumb but then people are pointing out like yeah but look at look at episode one using like the 50s aesthetics and everything and i'm like but my thought to that was like yes that's true but also yeah everyone loves episode one it worked out <laughs> so <laughs> yeah well great. So, yeah. you know so it's funny you reference the prequels because like my what really reminded me of was the diner scene in episode two Dexter. that's what i meant yeah 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 which i do have to say i think this stands out to me less than that i agree um or actually maybe i mean it depends because like everything surrounding the diner scene in episode two kind of maybe it didn't really stick out that much because it's sort of (laughs) the whole thing is just kind of aesthetically strange whereas i feel like this show swings from yes to like Mm-hmm. I I did get the same feeling as that scene where you're just watching. Don't get me wrong, we're watching like a space western with like lasers and like laser swords. Right. But like you watch the Vespa scene or that diner scene, and you're just like, "This is just silly. This is just plain silly." Like <laughs> it like kind of points out like, "What am I watching? Like what is this?" Like you where you could get lost in even. Like, I'm not going to bash on the prequels too much, but you could get lost in the world created by the original trilogy or the sequels or Mandalorian. But then like this, it just seems like it like shows its hand too much. And you could almost see the the man behind the curtain or the man behind the the computer. And then when you bring in this aesthetic, which I, I have no idea what the mod aesthetic was, like Mickey was saying, like, I don't know if any of us do, but this looks like somebody was like oh i totally know and then they got it off of like wikipedia and like it's all (laughs) just like stereotypical and like this this is what it was like back then so let's (laughs) add that here like i don't know mickey i was gonna say like the the silliness too like we're talking about that i think that's maybe something star wars has to wrestle with or they're they're on this like edge you know like a big thing too with that whole tour was people were saying like oh like you know people are like oh this now it's a stupid little kids show like why do we feel like and then people are like Star Wars is a, a kid's thing. And it it's is. Like, it's and always true. true. <laughs> but I, I think Star Wars is kind of, maybe it's an older kid thing or it's just on that, that razor's edge where I feel like, and it, it made me think, I was actually like, you know, like um, thinking of uh, the other famous sci-fi kids, kids show that's a kid's show is Doctor Who. Like Doctor Who is silly and it can be silly and no one ever faults it for being silly because that's, mm-hmm. that's what it is. Where, where Star Wars seems to have to wrestle with, it has this like thing where like the comics and some of the video games got dark 
even though it's, you know, some of the influences early on was silly, you know, like it's this kind of like dynamic. It's always got to like play with and fall on one side. And it's, you know, something that's always have to wrestle with. Hmm. Yeah, I think Star Wars fans in particular get really um, worked up when there's anything in their Star Wars that could be read as silly because I think <laughs> that they take it very seriously and they don't want to be, I mean, I don't want to say self-conscious, but like they don't, they don't, they take it seriously and they want, they want other people to take it seriously. So whenever they see something that could be read as like silly or like maybe s- something for kids, I think it's sort of it's sort of they get really worked up about it. I say they as if I'm not a Star Wars fan, but but I think we know what I'm talking about. It's yes. like it's like, you know, uh, John, uh, to your point, I, I think um, we, we were having a conversation last night. Josh and I were talking on the phone. And um, one thing that came up that I think would be a, another a good future podcast is the idea of well, what is Star Wars? Like what what do we define Star Wars as? And uh, and I think that kind of goes with what you're talking about with like, the balancing act. Like we were talking about, let's say the last Jedi. Um, a lot of people were upset with Luke Skywalker, but we feel that it's within the wheelhouse of Luke to have some sort of tragedy as compared to like, if you go to Luke Skywalker now and he's like, Oh, I'm a professional clown and a pedophile. You're like, that's not Luke Skywalker. What the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> you know, like, so there is a, there's a, there's a balancing act, you know? Yeah. And then, um, but on your point as to like people taking Star Wars seriously, I think this goes to another conversation we've had in the past, um, which maybe we can get into with the Empire Strikes Back, but the Empire Strikes Back set the gold standard of Star Wars. And I think the one of the main reasons why was because it took itself seriously with some silliness in it, you know, but like, because it took itself the most seriously and it was like the highest quality, I think subconsciously people are reaching for that for every Star Wars that they're fed now. So now they're like, take yourself seriously. Maybe we can have another Nine Empire Strikes Back quality thing. And so like, I think it's a, a subconscious thing when they see something silly, they're like, oh, they're not trying as hard. It's not going to be as good. And then they kind of internally freak out. No, for sure. Um, We've talked about this a lot, but but I think, and it's funny because there's a Star Wars account that I follow on Instagram, Star Wars 1980, and this person, they posted a screenshot, a comparison of the roster of bounty hunters from The Empire Strikes Back with IG-88 and Bosk and Forlom, and then on the bottom was the Vespa uh, biker <laughs> gang, and they were like, you know, what we wanted and what we got, right? And yeah. I was kind of like, yeah, okay, well... See, the thing is, you know, once again, and this is a topic for for a future podcast, I think I think comparing everything to The Empire Strikes Back is not is not great because for a lot of reasons, I think The Empire Strikes Back, while when all is said and done, is my favorite Star Wars film. But I do think it's an anomaly that yeah. created false expectations for what Star Wars is. It showed us what it could do. But as we've seen, that's not really what George Lucas had in mind in terms of the tone. Yeah, I agree. So this is because me and John have talked about this before. And it's it's like kind of a hot take. And I'm not trying to like push any buttons, but like because I love Star Wars, I'm a big Star Wars fan. But like we tend to think of like, oh, this is like, um, you know, like it's almost like the Beatles, right? Like everything is just a great hit. Like every, but like there's so many more movies and content that are not as good as the original. So it's like, I don't know. It's like, maybe it's not as high quality. Like there's, you know, say for just the movies, it's like three out of three out of nine of them are like really, really good. So it's still like the lower, like minority mm-hmm. of things that's good. So it's like less the Beatles and more like, you know, like Foo Fighters or something. No offense to Foo Fighter fans, but you know what I'm saying? Like where it's just like, it's not like everything's pure gold and has always been gold. And now all of a sudden this new stuff, like I have the same thing with the Simpsons. You're like, it's Simpsons has been like worse, like five times longer than it's been great. So it's just mm-hmm. like, but it has like this um, expectation that like is where the best work that it did is kind of like what they're saying is like, the, the it's like, it all should there. be. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly. like the legacy curse, you know, whether yes, it's a legacy you, band yeah. or a legacy movie series, it's like you have a quality that you have you're just shooting for every single time. And like it's just, you know, statistics, it's math. Like you're not you're not gonna hit it every single time. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they shouldn't shoot for those things. Or yeah, that no, like it's, it's like or it's all shit. Like it's there's good 
quality stuff, even in this episode, which I would yeah. like to get into. But there's some there's some good moments in this episode. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Sure. I would like to get into that as well. Uh, Mickey, did you have something to say? I guess I just wanted to kind of point out, like we were kind of talking about like how the silliness of it, the fact that it's like kind of a kid's thing. And then I just kind of had to note that it is part of Disney Plus, And that seems to be where Disney Plus is you know, kind of going yeah. with the content. Like when you go on that platform, you kind of get it's And it's like, it's weird. Cause it's not like, it's not like Nick kids. It's not like things for like three to five year olds, but I feel like it sense when you like scroll that platform, you're like, Oh, okay. This is for like, this is for like eight to, you know, 15 year olds or something. And that's, I feel like where like this could fit in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know how much that Disney branding is really affecting the content of the show. Like I really do think, well, I know for a fact that, Disney Plus is trying to broaden who their perceived audience is because like they don't want to just be known as the stuff for for kids and family. With the Marvel shows for example, like I think, you know, Marvel is able to retain its own identity and I think that with the purchase of Lucasfilm, I think that their intention was for Lucasfilm and its its properties like Star Wars to still retain their identity and be what they are. So so I don't know that that is necessarily fitting it into something that that it wouldn't have already tried to be i mean just look at the pre-disney output the cartoons like the clone wars and and stuff like that yeah um which i'm not super familiar with but from you know what i have seen like it does kind of run the gamut from super silly to very poignant and serious murray so i think um almost like maybe more subconsciously than people realize they they almost are expecting it to have like a like Harry Potter, like the book where like it was, mm. it aged up with the core audience. Whereas mm. Mm. Star Wars never like Star Wars just they like, no, this is our core audience. I don't care how old you're getting. Like this is yeah. our th- And that first hit That's me. That's a when, great point. That's a great point. Because yeah. that, that first hit me when after the last Jedi, which I, I know my dislike of anything of it is solely because I'm a victim of a horrible screening of it. Uh, my first time seeing it, and I can't separate it. So I was saying like how I didn't like it. And my friend Bill was like, oh, I thought it was it was amazing. And I was like, oh, really? What about this, this, and this? And then he he was he wasn't mad, but he finally said, like, out of everyone here talking about it, I'm the only I went with my son. So I'm the only one that saw it with a nine-year-old. And trust me, it's awesome like and you're just like that's very okay yeah you that's interesting, have all yeah. the points in the world right there <laughs> yeah John. to your point the second time i think i saw the movie um uh there was like a six or seven year old girl t- immediately to my right and the scene in the last jedi when they uh they kill snoke and they ray and ren look at each other and they go back to back and it goes in the slow motion as the bad guys are coming in on them right before they fight the little girl literally like leapt out of her seat, grabbed the railing in front of her, and went ooh 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 ooh, and, like, <laughs> and that made the movie five stars better. <laughs> like, yeah, yep. just her, and I was like, I was like, yeah, this moment fucking rocks. This movie's <laughs> <Yeah>. awesome. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was like that too, as you know. Uh, yeah, as an adult, I thought like, that way too. Yeah, like, but like, I was like the little kid, or something like, like that. <laughs> the little kid made it just better. Yeah, hundred you know? percent. And then it like oh, it's eye opening, like oh okay, no, this it's That's their it's nailing it for the audience. And yeah. for me, if I'm if I meet someone that like loves the prequels, and I'm like oh, and they might like the original, but they love the prequels enough in the conversation, you find out like they were like ten years old when, or right. like or like seven years old when Episode One came out, whereas we were like what seniors in high school or something like that. And you're like okay, yeah, no, it's gonna hit a lot yeah, different for you than school. it is for yeah. us. I remember. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I, I remember, I think possibly the first time I ever watched star Wars, uh, was, I was maybe like at most four years old and Mm -hmm. my dad hooked up the speakers to our TV (laughs) and he put the tape. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I remember like, as soon as it started with the galaxy far, far away, I can't read, but I could tell like Mm -hmm. something's going on. And then when it just says like star Wars, my jaw opened up and for the rest (laughs) of the movie, I was just staring slack jawed at the TV completely in the zone like yeah. what the fuck is this it, it blew me off the map you know and that's awesome uh, yeah and that's yeah cool. and like like as a little kid like it just it hit all the buttons and i feel like even with the ones that were like eh, attack of the clones isn't really that great mm-hmm. but for some five-year-old out there that saw attack of the clones that could be the first star wars movie man 
That's probably yeah. his favorite movie of all time, or of her all time. favorite yeah, movie of all time. You know, I was I was young enough that I thought that 20th Century Fox with the spotlights and the that like that yeah. every movie that started like that was Star Wars. Like, Star Wars, that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so yeah. like that's uh-huh. so, like I couldn't associate. So like yeah, we all watched it when we were super young, and that's why we we love it so much. But I think I'm not patting ourselves on the back at all. But I think it, it once you realize that it doesn't age up with its original audience and that it just stays the same. Then it like almost like frees you like disconnects yeah. you from the matrix. And you're just like, Oh no, this is awesome for, I like, think you're right about that. It frees sure. you. No, I think that's a really great point that, that, that hadn't occurred to me, but like I said, Harry Potter, that, that aged up with his audience and star Wars stays for 12 year olds or nine year olds mm-hmm. or whatever it is. I want to pivot to some of the stuff that I thought really was great in this episode. Um, yeah. I don't know how you guys feel about it, but the uh, but in the flashback when he discovers that the uh, I guess the biker gang massacred the mm-hmm. the Tuscan tribe that he was a part of, like that really hit me between the yeah. eyes, like yeah, like especially too. especially coming off of how much you know we kind of celebrated them last week. That really hit, like that really landed with me. Yeah, um, I thought that was the best part of the episode. Uh, for a couple of reasons. One, the the reveal of it I thought was perfect because because yeah. um, Boba Fett is talking to the leader of the Pike Syndicate or whatever they're called. And he's like, well, we already have a deal with the bikers. And then Boba Fett's like, all right, you're never going to hear from them ever again. I'm going to handle it right now. And kind of like in The Mandalorian, where it's almost like an RPG, where it's like a, <laughs> a, f- a f- go and fetch it sort of quest, where it's like, I'll do this for you, but you got to do this quest for me. So I was like, okay, like, but was going to go to the biker gang and like mess them up again. But then it's like a bait and switch where it's like, nope, this is more of a reveal that the Tuscans were taken out. And that hit really hard. And I think the hardest moment is when he's burning the bodies and he takes out the little stick and you're like, Oh God, the kid's body must be in there. He's dead. That's so fucking terrible. But on the flip side, they, they purposefully never show the woman warrior's body. You see the chief and you see the stick for the kid but you never see that badass warrior lying dead either. And I oh, that's think, interesting. And I think she's going to pop up in this later on and become part of his gang or whatever. And like, just re- have real retribution against the Pike syndicate. That's interesting. I didn't notice that, but that's a good yeah. point. If that's true, I just got so excited that like, she might be back. Yeah. Like <laughs> I like, just got shit. so excited. Yeah. But, yeah. Like, I, I will, I was like so bummed out. And then like, I, of course, like you can't help but make ties to, you know, a new hope and the mm-hmm. reveal um, there with the same thing. But the, um, what kind of, well, like I was glad, like after how like attached you get in the second episode that like you only see the aftermath. I know it's Disney, so it's yeah. not like they're going to show it. Like, but if we had to watch like an episode three esque thing of this, like war or people getting like killed, I would be like very, very bummed out. And so it's like, I was a little like relieved in that sense, but also it it makes sense. Cause like we were talking last week, like something has to push Boba Fett to be kind of what we saw him to be when he popped up in Mandalorian, which was like the, like, just like more of that anger and like, you're like, Oh, this is a guy that would disintegrate everybody. Like, and so if you have that reignite his rage or whatever, he was like kind of quelled by being friends with them and like learning from them and them saving him. Like you could see like, Oh, okay. They like broke this man. And now they're in a lot of trouble. <laughs> oh, totally. <laughs> I definitely, I, I noticed that the woman's warrior wasn't there. So I was like, and, and I didn't put two to do together with the stick. So I was like, Oh, hopefully she's got the younglings and the dogs. Because I was also really sad. Like I'm assuming all those dog things are dead too, which bummed me out. (laughs) So, but I was like thinking, like, oh, maybe her and the kids and the dog things are like hiding in a cave somewhere or something. (laughs) Fingers crossed. With a nice uh, white picket fence. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. (laughs) The other thing that I really dug was the stuff with um, the badass Wookiee whose name I can't uh, pronounce, but um, Black. Cranston or something like that? Yeah, yeah there's a way to pronounce it. I don't know. But um, yeah. Kieran Gillen, who wrote, who created the character, who wrote the Darth Vader comics and the the Dr. Afra stuff, I think, he popped up on Twitter when he showed up in live action. And he was like, my temporary name for the character when I was writing it was Nubaka. <laughs> so 
<laughs> so, uh, so I think I'm going to refer to him as as New Baca until I hear someone actually pronounce it properly. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that jump scare where he wakes up in the back to tank and he like he rips him out of the back to tank. I think maybe comes right on the heels of that flashback we were just talking about. Yeah. Am I wrong? I think it does. Yeah. I think it yeah. does. Yeah. Yeah. It was like that, very jarring and awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Exactly. Like that. Um, that whole jump scare and like seeing that Wookie fucking grab him when he's so vulnerable like literally mm-hmm. he has no clothes on it was it's like, like psycho it, right yeah it's kind of like that eastern promises fight i mean not <laughs> oh, <yeah>. i mean <laughs> not as good dick. obviously yeah, but yeah. it's sort of, yeah. but, but it's sort of like um uh, no, yeah like i thought this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah i i thought that scene was was awesome because that Wookiee character I think is the scariest fucking thing ever and I <laughs> love him like when he showed up and he so violently throws him out of the tank and they get into the fight I was like yeah and Boba Fett like he doesn't have his armor he's just wearing mm-hmm. speedos you know yeah. he's covered in yeah. like petroleum jelly and he's got yeah. like get this done <laughs> but uh, my my only critique of that fight is it the, the moves and the choreography the, the biting and everything was so visceral and he's getting punched to shit by this 10 foot Wookiee and it's not even like a bruise or a, a trickle of blood from his nose or a bite that's mark. True. And I was like, I, and I wonder if that's uh, uh, struggling with the dynamic of like, well, this is a kid's show, so we can't show too much blood. But uh, that's a minor point. I actually thought the scene itself was cool. And I thought that the Wookiee taking on the entire gang by himself and almost winning was yeah. a really cool show of force to be like, you know, these guys might be badass bounty hunters and stuff like that, but they still have their work cut out for them. And um, I just thought that was awesome and kind of terrifying at the same time. Yeah. Uh, Mickey. Yeah. I, I just like, I, I kind of, like, you, you said the whole thing with the Eastern promise and, but not as good. And that's where I was like, it was awesome. It was great. Um, I was thinking, I wasn't thinking Eastern promise. I was thinking the, the bathroom fight in that mission impossible movie. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, that one where it's oh, like yeah. the physicality. Cause this is like, you had just like two dudes who could just like, like you look at them and you're like, this is going to be bad. Like there's a lot of physics, you know, like power can happen. <laughs> and like, it just was like yeah. almost there. But there, I, I think my, my is like all the rooms seem pretty open. Like they were almost like all wrestling rings they could wrestle in where I almost like wish there was more like <laughs> objects they could get smashed through or something. Obstacles, that was yeah. like the one well, thing where it's like almost well, the mission of physicality of this. Exactly. Well, that's exactly, yeah, that's exactly what I was exactly like kind of thinking, what thinking what where, um, oh man, well, I'm blanking on the actor's name now, the Witcher guy, where he's just like that part where he does. Henry Cavill. Yeah, when when he does like his like arm like gets him right in you're <laughs> yeah, just like oh no yeah. oh no yeah <laughs> I was waiting for that moment and I felt like it never quite hit. Mm. Yeah, I mean the one thing that I will say about the uh, the openness of the room, like it really lets you see very clearly how far he can throw Boba Fett. <laughs> 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 This is like a minor thing. It's not even a critique, but it was something that kind of like made me laugh because like for what we know of Boba Fett, before he has the training from the Raiders and then we have that on top of it, you know what kind of like adversary he's going to be. And then you have this big Nubaka guy that's like just terrifying and he's got the upper hand. And then like the like little like biker kids are like, I'll save you. Like, and it just like reminded me of in was it Endgame when you see Captain Marvel just like single-handedly destroy like a ship and then everybody's like, oh, we'll get her back because she needs our help. It's like, clearly she doesn't. Like she could like (laughs) fend for herself. And so I just like, I understand, of course, that your mob boss is under attack. So you're going to like help him out. But it's just like, they were so not set up to be any sort of, that I thought that like, oh, they're going to come save him. I almost thought it was kind of like silly because like, what are they going to do? Are they just going to sit like and drink tea and listen to like the awesome power soundtrack. Like what are they going to do in this fight? (laughs) (laughs) Two thoughts about that. Uh, One, I thought that scene better illustrated um, the function of their cybernetics than the chase scene did. Mm. So I thought that like, you see them like with their electric chains and stuff like that. I was like, Oh, that's kind of cool. But two, when you really think about Boba Fett in the original trilogy, he wasn't much of a fighter. He was more of a, he would outwit you. Like he would mm. set up traps for you. Like he didn't catch Han Solo because he beat him up. He caught Han Solo because he told, he, he just tracked him to Bespin. That's where they knew where he was. And likewise in Return of the Jedi, when he famously goes out like a chump, he goes out <laughs> like a chump, you know, yeah, like, true, he's, yeah. like he, he tries to tie up Luke with rope and, and Luke cuts his gun in half and 
he, gets, <laughs> he his jetpack accidentally goes off. Like it's not like he's like Bruce Lee. So I think it kind of fits with like he's he's a better fighter in the show now than he ever was, yeah. in my opinion. Just given like what we've seen from the films. I mean, I don't know about the cartoons and stuff mm. like that. But still, I, I thought it worked. Before I got a chance to see the episode, I had designs on, I was going to stay up because, you know, here on the West Coast, the episodes drop at midnight instead of 3 a.m. So it's like a very doable thing. But I have a one-year-old. So so, <laughs> so I was like, so I was like, no, man, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to stay up. And then it's like, you know, 9.55. And I'm like, I'm not doing this. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so, so I watched it um, the following day. And I try to avoid spoilers i even tried to avoid like not like full-on spoilers but uh just like the reaction because i know that it'll color my expectations for when i sit down to watch it and a friend of mine who didn't realize that i hadn't seen it yet he texted me robert rodriguez should fire himself and i was like <laughs> oh, and, jesus and, and i was like <laughs> and i was like oh okay i guess people didn't like this one <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, it's, I mean, that's, it's, that's a bit harsh. <laughs> yeah, it's tricky because it's it's not bad. I just like there's something that with Robert Rodriguez, like I don't want it to seem like, oh, he's a hack. But there's just something in him that changed from and like we we're saying, like Desperado is not like a great movie. But there was a change from the person who made that to the person that made like like Spy Kids. I'm not talking about in terms of a kids movie. It's just like. It was, there was something style. Yeah. And so, and then to the extent that I think that he needs some sort of constraint because when he's thrown into the flashback, the flashback seems like it's directed by somebody else because it doesn't seem as like hokey and flat. I keep saying that. I don't know how else to describe it, but like, it seems like it has, it's just like better, like better quality all throughout that. It's like that it, um, I feel like when he's involved with like the city life and all these other characters, he kind of, I don't want to say like fumbles it because he's a far better director than I ever could be. So I can't like say anything bad about him, but there is just something where I was just like, Oh, this just seems like hokey to the extent that the flashback seemed like it was done by someone else. Like maybe that did episode uh, two, you know, uh, of the show, not the movie. <laughs> yeah. John. Um. Yeah. I think that goes back to what, we were saying before, or at least what uh, I think I brought up before, which is I, I think there's a hokiness to Robert Rodriguez. I think everything yeah. like, you know, shark boy and lava girl, like if that's not hokey, <laughs> what is? and like, yeah. but that's, that's what he likes, man. And it's just like, um, and there's a charm to that. Like, like, the, like, I feel like a lot of different directors come in and they fit with the star Wars aesthetic and they do different things like, all right, this one's going to be a little bit more samurai oriented. This one's going to be a little bit more flash Gordon. And I feel like he's of the dude of those action movies where like Arnold will just go into a field with a fucking M60 and blow away <laughs> people without taking any cover at all with infinite. Animation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I feel like that's Robert Rodriguez. Like he's yeah. just like, I'm like, he's like of that vein. So when things come off as sort of like, I don't know that I guess, or like, uh, or flat or whatever. I'm like, I think that's just kind of harking back to that old, like late eighties sort of like just people shooting from the hip. And like, even the original star Wars is kind of like that. Like Luke is like out in the open blowing away stormtroopers and like, <laughs> Oh fuck, we can't hit them. It's a little, it's like kind of like inherent to the source a little bit, you know? Yeah. Yeah, now I, I want to see Shane Black that. do but, a Star Wars TV show. Oh yeah. man, yeah, dude, yeah, man, someone I should just, give him a call. That would be uh, fucking awesome. Just, he yeah. actually, he should do he should do a movie. They should they should mm. bring him in to do a movie. I think um, uh, people would hate it. I would. It would be yeah. like it's like like when I say Iron Man three is my favorite, like like uh, one of my favorite Marvel movies. It's like up up there. Everyone thinks I'm like completely out of my mind. I'm like it's an Iron Man movie in which like. He doesn't have the suit, which everyone's complaining about. It's like, no, but we always see him in the suit and what he could do. This is like mm-hmm. totally yeah, new. Yeah, and also, I'll go on about Shane Black. So, uh, <laughs> quick, quick, move on. Otherwise, yeah, yeah. Well, well, you, um, I was going to say, uh, you, you're talking about writing and a, a, a good uh, movie writer, you know, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and all that stuff mm-hmm. uh, and Lethal Weapon. And I, I was thinking about the writing of this because I was thinking about um, how they set up in the last episode, like, hey, check out these two new huts and this Wookiee. Like mm-hmm. these are going to be like 
your adversary for the season. And the next episode, it's like, goodbye. We're leaving and you should too. Quick. Like I thought like they were going to be around for a couple episodes. (laughs) Well, so so about that. So, so I think this is a good segue to talk about what we think at this point in the season where we think it might be going. I have to think that that's kind of a ruse that the huts are going to come back. Like they're, I mean, they're lulling, him into a false sense of security and being like, nope, like we're done. We're out of here. I still, so we have four episodes left. I still don't really know. And I don't mean this in a bad way. I don't really know where this is going. I'm still intrigued. And I think something that I think people online, especially fandom has a hard time with. I feel like people lose sight of the fact that this is one chapter of a seven part story. And Mm -hmm. so when they, they say oh, that episode sucked. This whole show sucks. It's like, well, you don't you don't know how it fits into the larger whole yet, right? So, yeah. especially with the hot take Twitter culture that we live in, is like <laughs> everyone feels compelled to have like a really strong opinion, mm. and when there's anything that can be sort of read in a negative way there's like a lack of nuance it's like oh i can jump all over that that reminds me of our first episode where you're like was someone wrote the book of boba fett is worse than polio and it's just like come on right (laughs) you know (laughs) um but uh that being said though um i think we live in a pop culture setting now where a lot of the things that we are uh being shown are things that we have to figure out and part of the joy is figuring it out and, you know, yeah. maybe it all started with Lost, you know, or Twin Peaks, you know, even going further back. But it's just like, you know, uh, we live in a culture where it's like you're trying to figure out the season and you're trying to guess where it's going to go. I think Tyrion Lannister is going to do this in Game of Thrones. And I think this is going to happen. Like, What's going to ha- who's going to who's going to rule a throne or who's going to who killed Laura Palmer? And then um, Nick, what's his name? Uh, True Detective Nick Puzzolato or something like that. Uh, yeah. I think he said something like we were all kind of fed like a steady diet of like bad writing for TV. So when true detective came out and everyone was like figuring out like what was going to happen, uh, how is this going to go? Like, is it some crazy conspiracy, whatever? And the first episode, Woody Harrelson's character says something along the lines to uh, Matthew McConaughey, the other detective. He's like, you ever believe in the theory that the answer is like the most obvious one? The one that's like right under your nose. And the, the writer of the show was kind of trying to tell the audience, like, stop it. <laughs> like, stop, stop trying to like, like just enjoy the ride. Uh, maybe I'm projecting onto him a little bit, but I feel like that is where some of these people are coming from when they watch these episodes and like, this episode sucks. So therefore the whole show sucks. And like, and I don't know where it's going to go. And like you said, Josh, like, not knowing where it's going to go is not a bad thing. I think not knowing where it's going to go is a good thing in many different ways because you're always going to be surprised, you know? So, uh, no, totally. Yeah. I just think it's no, a bit of a culture clash is what it is. Star Wars, I think kind of like flip flops on this itself. I don't know what the reviews were for empire strikes back, but like that ended with like zero resolution, right? It just like kind of sets you up like, um, with, like they lost, they basically lost and they're, they're needing to kind of regroup and figure it out. And I wonder if that like came out today, people be like, there was no ending to it. Like what the fuck? Like when we watched Lord of the Rings, John in theaters and people mm-hmm. like, well, that's it. Like this, how it's ending. What, like, they said, what, uh, what about the ring? Yeah. What, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so it's just, um, and I mean, I, I get that with like, say like no country for old men. Like if something's not concluded, like wrapped up and presented to somebody, then they're like, oh, I don't know, it sucked. But then if it is presented to them, they're like, oh, it was, it was too easy. And I think, you know, like, so episode mm-hmm. one of of the prequels ends, like, clean cut. And I feel like they all end clean cut. And so now even when it goes to TV shows, if the TV sh- episode is not wrapped up almost like a standalone episode, people are like, that fucking sucked. Like, that's the dumbest thing. It's like, well, it's part of a, yeah, like a series. Like, give it a chance. Like, yeah, I don't know. It's just they're they're expecting it to be all clean and wrapped up in standalone episodes, almost like a cartoon would be. 
Yeah, I mean, I actually think I'm going to take it one further. I think they're expecting like a cliffhanger that lets them know exactly what's going to happen in the next episode. Like they want to know where this is going. I think that they want every episode to be like a huge event and end on like a crazy, a crazy cliffhanger. So they know exactly what to expect next week. And it's weird because again, like, like I don't think fans know exactly what they want. They know what they do not want, but, but Mm -hmm. I don't think they know what they want. Uh, Um, there was always that old adage that um, audiences are smarter than studios think they are, which is true. Uh, but I think ironically, since audiences are smarter and they're trying to figure out the mysteries, like I was saying before, they also need to be led by the hand to show them where the trail is. So like, so without a cliffhanger being like, this is going to be the next thing. What's going to happen? People can like concentrate on that target and be like, and try to figure out that mystery. But if they're not given that cliffhanger or if they're not given that resolution, it's completely open-ended. And so when they have all the options of what's possible, I feel like they get paralysis and then they're like, Mm. well, what's going to happen? And then they take that as almost like a, I don't know what. As like like a a, failure or like a failing on the, yeah. Yeah, as a failing in the show as compared to just being like, well, I mean, you'll just wait and see. Right. When you're saying how there's like, it's so open-ended or like too many possible options that it's like debilitating. That's so true because on a non-Star Wars related thing, like if I'm playing a video game like uh, Metroidvania or something like that, and I'm playing Symphony of the Night and I go into a place and I can't progress any further, I'm like relieved that I'm like, okay, like I know out of all these like passageways like um, it's like focusing me to where I have to go. Cause it's like my favorite thing in a video game is a locked door because I'm like, okay, that's, I have to figure out how to unlock that. But I also am like, it takes away one of the many options of directions I could go. So like, I feel that when you said that, I was like, oh, that's totally, that makes 100% sense with it, with TV shows and even um, multiple part movies where it's, if it's too, open-ended it almost gets like overwhelming where you would think it would be the other way around like if your hand is held too much you're like oh that's like boring and i know where it's going to go but there's like maybe a comfort in that yeah yeah i think it's a taste thing i think it's a um mickey you were talking a lot about this whole notion of peak tv that that uh, we're in and like how we're trained to watch tv now and Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think that's kind of inseparable from the immediate hot take social media culture. I think they kind of feed each other, right? Um, yeah. uh, people need something to talk about. They want something to talk about. And the way a lot of serialized, sh- I mean, most shows in, in quote unquote, a peak TV genre, if you want to call it that, because I do think it's like a genre now, like there are shows that Mm. are trying specifically Mm. to be peak TV. Yeah, exactly. You know, they play into that, like, it's almost like they're written for what we once upon a time would have called like the water cooler discussion. But now it's like the whole point. I mean, we're writing this for the audience to be talking about it on Twitter and to be finding like to be, you know, kind of guessing yeah. and stuff like that yeah, we have uh, to write them something Twitter to talk too. about so you know yeah, like they're, they're expecting that yeah, yeah. Like, okay when this yeah. comes yeah. i'm gonna be on there and yeah i feel like john favreau and and the book of boba fett is like this like i think he's he's doing his own thing and he's he's kind of like you know very smartly especially with something like star wars and like the character of boba fett in particular when there are so many strong feelings and so many high expectations that the only way to like do a story with any integrity is to just kind of as much as possible, set all that aside and tune it out and decide for yourself what it's going to be. And Mm. just kind of, you know, kind of, kind of keep your head down and just plow through and do it. And I'm very much getting that sense. This show is, is working on its own wavelength and some fans are either they're tuning into it or they're, they're just like, no, this is not what I thought or what Mm. I wanted. Right. It's funny because when we, when we think about the beginning of peak TV, uh, most people will say like the Sopranos, uh, Mm -hmm. Mad Men. And uh, with both of those shows, those shows weren't about uh, figuring out the next step. Like those shows were like a day in the day of like, here's a day of Tony Soprano. And it didn't leave in a cliffhanger of like, what's going to happen next week. It's almost just like, and no one really talked about those shows, but then, you know, at the same time, you have shows like Lost that were coming about. And then 
Game of Thrones comes about and Game of Thrones is all about that. Breaking so bad. people would start talking about Don Draper, like from Mad Men, like, oh, who is he? What's he going to do? And it's like, the show was never about that. The show was just a day-to-day sort of thing. But all of that said, um, I, I, I want to hear what Mickey has to say uh, next, but I'll, I'll leave a question to you guys just to play the game. Where do you think the book of Boba Fett is going to go? <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I just can say like, I, I definitely feel like for me, like when we talk like the era of peak TV, I actually think like, you know, you have this like Sopranos is like the era of that's like prestige TV. And that was a separate right. thing. And then, and then you got into like two, 2010 and then you got peak and like Mad Men's almost the overlap between oh, yeah, I see what the you're two. Where yeah. I, I almost kind of feels funny because I feel bad for Mad Men because it was like, it actually belonged 10 years earlier and it wasn't belonged on Twitter, but it got sucked into like people talking yeah. about it. And like, and now, and now I, I feel like, yeah, that book of Boba Fett's squarely in this peak TV and how we mm. are expected to interact. And yeah, it's a good question. Like I, it's weird. Cause I, I don't know, like I, like watching these Boba Fett, like they almost do feel like there is kind of almost a distinctness between each episode. And I'm not, it doesn't feel like it's pushed me forward to any sort of like, there's no mystery. There's no mythology like of that kind of like lost style, which is kind of free and kind of nice in one way. I, I almost get like the feeling I was getting from because it's a Western too is like I almost wonder if like this Bubba Fett and like it's kind of almost fitting in with like these old school like uh, that Wild Wild West show or something where it's not not I mean there is an ongoing story but at the same time it's like doesn't feel so like sucked into any thought or like greater mythology. Speaking of Wild Wild West, I re- uh, not revisited, but I I dipped my toe into that show for the first time uh, recently. I really I really dig that show a lot. And it bums me out that that at least uh, people of our generation, we hear Wild Wild West, we think of the Will Smith uh, uh, movie, though the yep. single from that movie is pretty catchy. They, uh, <laughs> yeah. um, anyway, closing thoughts. I don't know exactly where it's going to head, but I feel like Boba Fett is going to get Nubaka because he was he was like just hurled away by the huts. And then he was like, no, go be free. And I think he's going to have loyalty. I think he's going to have the, the badass Raider. And I think in, in Westerns, I don't know if um, anyone's seen the Western Joe kid, right. Written by Elmore Leonard and in it uh, as a weapon of sorts, Clint Eastwood drive, like uses a train and like drives it through a building. And I feel like that moment's going to come with Boba Fett on a rancor, like whatever this war that's going to happen, this gang war, that's going to be like the big thing. And I wish if that is the case, that it was spread out for like longer than, I don't know, what was it? 25 seconds when he's like, Oh, some people ride him," And then Boba Fett's like, I want to ride it. <laughs> You're like, oh, well, yeah. you could have <laughs> spread that out a little bit. Uh, but that's where I think I was sort of thinking like a, a Yojimbo thing at first, uh, because like the man with no name uh, trilogy where he's going to play both sides against each other. But I feel like now with the death of the, the Raiders, it's going to be much different and he's going to get his own type of army rather than like out with them, uh, mm. have them fight each other. And then he's going to come in riding a rancor, like a train through a, a building. <laughs> I think, yeah, I, I don't think I can do any better than that. I think that's, I mean, that sounds, that sounds pretty awesome to me. Um, <laughs> I'll take it. Any other thoughts, Mickey, any thoughts? Yeah. Like, like I said, my last statement where I'm kind of like, I don't know if the loss is the right word, but I'm just kind of like, yeah, I don't, I really don't know. I I'm actually feel like I'm pretty good at predicting like, oh yeah, this is where they want to go with this. And I'm, I'm not getting that. So, you know, I'm very curious. Like I said, it was a, so far it was like a down for me this episode. So I'm interested to see where the next episode goes and, how it changes things up. Yeah. And again, like, I don't think that not knowing where it's going to go is a bad thing. Like I'm actually kind of like, I'm interested in tuning in because I want to, I'm curious. I want to see where this is going to go. I really, yeah. I really don't, I really don't know, you know, which I think is, is kind of cool for a change. I was thinking about where the show might be headed and like, uh, and it, it was funny. Cause like, I think when the show started, I was like, Oh, this might be some sort of, uh, backdoor thing to bring in the crimson dawn organization whatever and maybe they'll still do that but it doesn't quite seem like they're advertising that as much but thinking back on this episode in particular and where the show could be going in a weird way it's almost like a star wars cowboy bebop like they're like (laughs) accumulating all these like very different people to join their crew and they're going up against like these like underground uh triads or syndicates and you have all these flashbacks, the past trauma, kind of like Spike and Cowboy Bebop. And it's like, 
Ah, oh, true. Like, I, That's good like and it's and it's like I wonder if it's going to culminate, kind of like what Murray was saying, where it's like it's going to be this big sort of thing where it's like the he's going to go against the head of the Pike Syndicate. He's going to come in on his rancor. There's going to be uh, the woman warrior from the Tuscans if she's still alive, you know. Like, <laughs> and it's just like all these like moments of like revenge and and also the comedy of like um, very 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 different people working together. Which, by the way, we didn't get into in the in this episode, which I, I wish we kind of did. But uh, Fennec, uh, three episodes in, I'm, I'm not sure she's really doing much besides just kind of hanging around. So I, I'm really curious to see what happens with her as an arc uh, from here sure. on out. Because they, she's well, she, very interesting and she's a very good actor. They made a big point, And I don't know if I was just like hyper focused on it, but multiple times they made a big point to show that she has a knife in the butt of her rifle. Mm -hmm. Like it came up multiple times as a thing. So I'm wondering if that's going to come into play. Like, cause even like it was something she used it to stab uh Nubaka, Right. And then they showed the yeah. same shot of her taking it out again to like hot wire the door or whatever. Like the, to the point that I was like, why do they keep showing this? Like that she has this tool. So I don't Maybe know. Maybe she'll that's, literally again, stab that's, him in the back or something. Yeah, oh. That's like, that's not a character thing. Like you're saying, but that is just something that is, I, I was there, noticing, you, you I was like, on, what are they, yeah. like, why yeah. are they focusing on this? Mm -hmm. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, John, like you said, I think it's still possible that uh, we'll get some kind of a Crimson Dawn uh, Kira reveal. Um, I think the thing with the huts leaving, again, I think is a red herring. Mm -hmm. I think they're mm -hmm. going to let them hash it out and swoop in later and and deal with who's left. Um, they're they're pulling the Yojimbo, not Boba Fett. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. I actually no, thought right, about exactly. that when it was occurring. I was like, oh, they're doing yeah. the Yojimbo thing, but not Boba Fett. It's the bad guys. Yeah, yeah, it. yep, yeah, yep. <laughs> yeah. And what you're saying about like him getting this crew together, this motley crew of disparate characters yeah. or whatever, it's kind of like what he was talking about doing in the flashback about uniting all the Tuscan tribes, right? Mm. He's sort bit. of. He's not uniting, you know, the crime families. He's uniting the denizens of Tatooine. He's more like, like Robin Hood. But yeah, kind of. Or Bugs Life, guys. Hands together. They're <laughs> <laughs> stronger than the grasshoppers. And on that note, I think that's a good place to, <laughs> I think that's a good place to close. Um, I want to thank John, Mickey, and Murray. And like we all said, I think we're all looking forward to seeing episode four. And I look forward to discussing it with you all. Have a good one. 